Marty Plum, and I am your host of a pen and a napkin podcast, your coaching clinic that you can carry around with you in your pocket. Uh, we are at episode number 14, and I am truly uh, thrilled and excited to have our guest on uh, for this evening. Um, all the way from Atlanta, Georgia tonight via Colorado Springs, via Southeast Iowa. Uh, we have the uh, coaching director of the youth division of USA Basketball and Iowa High School boys basketball legend Don Showalter here on a pen and a napkin. And I'm really, really excited to get to talk to him here in a couple of minutes. But before we get going with that, as always, we've got to go through a couple of things. We want to recognize our sponsor, COSAC Chiropractic, located at 14450 Eagle Run Drive here in Omaha. Coaches, if you have an athlete who is struggling with balanced neck or spinal issues, have them go see COSAC Chiropractic. You can check out their practice at COSAC Chiro, that's K-O-S-A-K-C-H-I-R-O dot com, or give them a call at 402-964-0300. Be sure to tell them that a pen and a napkin sent you. Um, Follow us on Twitter at a pen and a napkin. Uh, like we like to have the daily coaching tidbits on pen and napkin, so be sure to check that out. Obviously, if you're listening, you're on SoundCloud or iTunes. If you're on iTunes, give us five stars uh, so we can continue to get the word out. We keep getting more and more subscribers. Obviously, grateful for everybody that has subscribed on, on either uh, uh, subscription notice there. Uh, if you have any questions, email us. Uh, at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. If there's stuff you want us to talk about, uh, any questions, any suggestions that you have, always open to uh, constructive criticism. Want to be a lifelong learner or want to do this the best that we possibly can. So uh, speaking of the best that we possibly can, I've got uh, a guy on here tonight uh, that has, has done had an outstanding career. Uh, Coach, I was looking at uh, the resume that you sent to me and just absolutely breathtaking all the things that you've been able to do in your career. Um, just first and foremost, congratulations on, on everything that you've done uh, within the sport. Uh, just unbelievable. Did you think when you were 22, 23 years old that this was the path that you were going to go down? Well, yeah, you know, first of all, I appreciate being on, on your podcast. Uh, you know, you have some really good podcasts. I encourage your listeners to listen to to all of them, so I really enjoy the fact that you invited me to be on your podcast. Well, um, I appreciate you being on. But to answer your question, no, I mean, I don't think I don't think very many of us uh, as coaches start out kind of knowing how our path's going to go, just because it's a first of all, it's kind of a crazy game, and you it's 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 a game where you. You meet so many people, but really the world is very small in the game of basketball. And uh, starting out, starting out as, as a brand new coach right out of, right out of college, uh, no idea where uh, this was going to happen, or end up being working for USA Basketball or coaching the junior national team. So uh, that's one thing I tell young coaches uh, you know, all the time: I, you don't you you want to get to where. Uh, you know, you want to coach at a higher level or a different level. Um, I said, first of all, you got to do a great job of where you're at. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're if you're a coach in the seventh grade girls team or boys team, then you better do a good job there because that people are going to notice, and when they do, you're going to get a chance to coach at a different level and and those kind of things. So rather than try and look where you want to head to, do a great job where you are, and then things take take care of themselves. And that's kind of what happened to. 
me, and every job I had was to me was the best job I could have had. Yep. Uh, and, and I think that's a real point. As I got older, I look back on that. It's something I think young coaches need to understand uh, about the game of basketball. Well, coach, like I said, you know, the, and I, and and the reason why you've been so successful is is simply having that uh, not only that philosophy about you know, coaching, but, but, but that philosophy about life and, and the people that I've talked to that, that know you, um, they, they just say that you're one of the most genuine people that they've ever met. And, and, uh, you know, I I think that just carries through, uh, I know you don't want me to go through this, but I'm going to go through it anyway, real quick. Just some of the things that you sent me here, uh, 42 years as a head coach in Iowa, uh, as a, as a, uh, boys head basketball coach, 600, over 600 wins, uh, National Coach of the Year in 2009, 10-time uh, Iowa Coach of the Year. And for those people that don't know Iowa, um, they might think it's a flyover state, but there is a lot of really, really good high school basketball in the state of Iowa. And to be selected uh, Coach of the Year one time, let alone 10 times, uh, says a lot about you. Um, McDonald's All-American Coach 1999, Jordan Brand uh, two times, uh, 2005, 2012, and then you move on to USA Basketball, 62 and 0 uh, with the under 16 and under 17 national teams there with USA Basketball, amongst other things that we'll talk about here. So, uh, just uh, impressive um, and and well deserved. Um, so that's me uh, talking about you. Let's have you talk about you here a little bit. Um, tell us a little bit about your background, where you grew up, uh, you know, how you got into coaching, so forth and so on. Yeah, well, yeah, it's, as most of us, I think, that are basketball coaches or basketball crazy, um, as, as well, we, you know, you, you, you enjoy the game as a young, as a young person, you know, fifth, sixth, grade you, you have somebody that's really instilled the love of the game and uh i tell coaches all the time if you're if you're coaching one of the main things you have to do if you're coaching that level is instill the love of the game i certainly had a sixth grade coach that really uh kind of i mean he really made me love the game of basketball so you know as you progress through your playing you, you always think everybody thinks you're going to be an nba star or, or be, a, be a major college uh, star as well but you know as you as you progress and, and uh, in your basketball career, you just, I, I think my thought process was, hey, I just want to be the best player I can be. And uh, played high school basketball. Actually grew up in the Iowa City area. Uh, on a farm just south of Iowa City. Mm-hmm. Uh, grew, up, grew up there. Uh, loved the game of basketball. Loved sports in general. And uh, uh, ended up going to uh, graduate from Mid Prairie High School. Uh, we had a state tournament team there. Uh, was fortunate enough to make some all-state teams and went on to play at Warburg College, which had at that time the probably one of the best coaches in in Division Three, if not Division Two, II, Division One. Buzz Levy was in the Hall of Fame, uh, Coach's Hall of Fame. Um, I had a great experience there playing for Coach Levy. And then first first job right out of college was a head coach job at uh, Lone Tree High School, mm-hmm. and you know, at that time, you don't ever think good job, bad job type of things. You just say, hey, it's a, it's a, it's a job. A uh, job. <laughs> and, uh, and I thought, you know, as I took the job, and then uh, they, they they were like going 36, I think, uh, the previous two years. Uh, but needless to say, that was a good, great position 
for me to start it. There's only one way it can go is up. You can establish your culture. And I was there for two years. And, and you know, we had some success. Uh, uh, not great success, but certainly better than they've had in the last several years before that. So I uh, went from there to Central High School in Elkater, Iowa, up in Northeast Iowa. And they had a pretty established program. They were they had state tournament teams before I got there. And I kind of stepped into what I felt was really a good position there. Um, we, had, we had some state tournament teams there as well, some really good teams. And then I went back to my alma mater after that, which I said I'd never do. But uh, how that goes is, you know, you you make uh, you, know, you sometimes you make concessions for your family. And I uh-huh. think that was really what drove me to, to coming back to Mid Prairie. I thought, well, I'll we'll stay there for five, six years, and then I'll move on. Well, twenty eight years later at Mid Prairie. Um, I put in the put in the head basketball coach. You know, we had a strong program when I played there, so uh-huh. it wasn't uh, something you had to rebuild. You just had to sustain and really keep it going, which we were fortunate enough to do with, with some great kids, some great assistant coaches, uh, those kind of things. And then uh, I ended up at uh, Iowa City High uh-huh. uh, after I retired from being at, at Mid Prairie. Uh, I still coached a little bit there at Mid Prairie for a year or two, and then. Uh, City High came calling. They wanted somebody to kind of turn their program around. So I, I spent some time with Iowa City High. Great, uh, great position. Love, love the kids at Iowa City High. Very diverse. Um, we knew we did some really good things there, getting the program uh, rolling around, and, and where we were very, very extremely competitive. And, and I, I love the kids. And you know, uh, our claim to fame there is that we finally beat Iowa City West my last uh, last year at, uh, at City High. So. Um, all in all, my 42 years of coaching was it really, to me, as I look back, I was it was unbelievable. I, I enjoyed every year. I enjoyed every team. Every team was different. Um, you know, I really took a lot of pride in, in um, making the best out of every team. So mm-hmm. that's kind of where I came from. And then, uh, uh, you know, I worked summer camps in summer, all the way from John Wood's camps uh, early on in my career to. Uh, Snow Valley basketball camp in California. Later, brought that to Iowa. Um, I went to a lot of clinics. Many coaches nowadays don't go to Harlan clinics. I think that's a mistake uh, because that's how you learn. If you're going to improve your craft, you're really going to get better at the game. You need to get better as a coach. And we tell our players all the time, you know, you have to get better in the offseason. Well, so do coaches. And uh, you know, so I went to a lot of clinics. I, you know, I just I, I was just a sponge for anything. That, uh, uh, I could improve on in basketball. Got involved with USA Basketball, coached junior national teams, and then now I end up being coach director for USA Basketball. And now I really organize our, uh, help to organize our uh, uh, junior national teams, U16s, U17s. I just saw it and I watched uh, the Atlanta Hawks play, and they have, you know, uh, they have uh, Trey Young and, and, uh, uh, he's part of our USA basketball uh, team, and he's a great kid. So I, uh, Jabari Parker plays for Atlanta mm-hmm. uh, as well. So you're, you get a chance to really watch some of the guys now that, you, that, we've, that we've coached before. So uh, Cam Reddish is also a member of that. So that's, that's really the fun part, too. Now I, I go do a lot of scouting players all over the country. Uh, for uh, and just to try to establish, uh, keep our standard really high with USA basketball, so so we can win gold medals. Yeah, 
Um, yeah, what was your what was your connection there with USA Basketball? How'd you kind of get your foot in the door there? Yeah, you know that's that's a great point. People ask me that all the time, and that's why I say, you know, if coaches really want to advance uh, or, or, or looking to do things in basketball, I think you, know, you have to work camps uh, because that's where you make connections, and that's how I made a connection with USA Basketball. Um, Working some camps where you know people that were uh, part of USA Basketball were at. They like what you do. They ask you to coach. And my first my first uh, coaching stint with USA Basketball was back in 1999, 20 years ago. Wow! And coached the Hoop Summit, which is a game with our top seniors against the top seed, top uh, uh, under 19 kids from uh, international mm-hmm. basketball. So. Uh, my first that was my first coaching experience with U, with USA basketball. Uh, our game was in San Antonio that year, and uh, unfortunately, we had we played against a guy by the name of Dirk Nowitzki, <laughs> who, at the time, who at the time in 1999 not many people knew about. He was very under the radar. Uh, we held him to like I think we held him to 35 points and 25 rebounds or something like that. Yeah. Uh, Good game plan. After that, you know, he, of course, he was shot up on the draft board and obviously ended up with a tremendous Hall of Fame career. So uh, that was my first inkling with uh, coaching with USA Basketball. Uh, then, the, you know, fortunately, they liked what I did. So uh, <laughs> they came back to coach. Even though we couldn't stop him, uh, we would play pretty well. So uh, then I just they asked me to be on some other uh, committees and stuff with USA Basketball. And then in 2009, FIBA, which is the governing body, international governing body of USA of basketball worldwide, started the U16, U17 uh, junior national teams. Mm-hmm. So U16 was in 2009. Uh, again, USA basketball asked about the coach that team, and uh, we had guys like Brad Beal, uh, Quinn Cook, uh, Andre Drummond. Uh, which is a pretty good team there too. Which is the sixteen-year-olds is a qualification tournament in one of the, in, in your zone, and then if you if you do well in your zone, you play the next year's seventeens uh, in the world championships. So mm-hmm. we were fortunate enough to win both uh, <coughs> those first first year in two thousand nine, and then we won the World Cup in two thousand ten. If you remember that, that's kind of when. Coach K came on with the senior men mm-hmm. as well. And Billy, Billy Donovan coached our U18 and U19s. Mm-hmm. USA Basketball wanted uh, Jerry Colangelo came into the picture. And, you know, we were struggling a little bit with our senior team, so they wanted some consistency uh, across the board with what they were, with what we were doing mm-hmm. from the junior national team all the way through. So obviously, uh, everyone knows they kept Coach K on for for like three Olympics and then. Uh, they did the same thing with our junior national team, so that's how I got to coach uh, coach those teams for for ten, 10 consecutive years, which was certainly a blessing and a great uh, <coughs> a great uh, uh, fun time for for uh, for me to be coaching. And you know, I I coached high school basketball as well because these games were all in the summertime, so yeah, I didn't have to do anything. With with what I was doing, yeah. so that so that's a long story. It's kind of a, uh, how how everything came about. But again, I go back to you know it's because of 
working camps and going to clinics where I made some connections and uh, again doing the best job where you're at. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, people notice. Yep. Um, you know, kind of the the story of USA basketball in, in a way. You know, I'm a history teacher, so I like looking at that that stuff. But you know, obviously, you know, we played with amateurs all the way through, and even after we got upset by the Soviets in 72, um, I wouldn't say upset, you know, we, we should have won the game three different times, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, but, um, you know, and then we get to, to 1988 and, and we lose in, in South Korea to Arvita Sabonis and the, and the pros from the Soviet union and everything. And and so that was kind of the first phase of it when we just played the college kids and then, And then we bring in the dream team, of course, in 92 and the NBA guys. And we just physically overwhelm people for about 10 years. And then, and and that was kind of the second phase. And then the world kind of caught up to us. And you were talking about Nowitzki. uh, And and then we had the the Greece uh, team and the Argentina in in 2002 and 2004. And like we were talking in the, uh, before we started recording, you know, uh, we we just had an era where we didn't live up to the standard of USA basketball. So, it was reformulated and they kind of, you know, went with the more consistent system. Um, what, you know, what was kind of your uh, role during that era, uh, during 2000, you know, 2000, you know, 2004, 2006? Because even in 2006, yeah. I think that's when Coach K took over and they, right. they still didn't win gold at the World Championships in 2006. But you could tell that right. things were turning in the right direction. What was kind of your role during that whole time period? Well, I mean, basically, I was on I was on our junior national team committee. So, uh, being on that committee, I had an we didn't because at that time we played uh, the junior teams uh, had what they call uh, we didn't play against international competition because Steven didn't start our our junior national team international until two thousand nine. Mm-hmm. But up until then, we had we had what we call uh, we played kind of mini Olympics. So okay. we brought in. Forty kids from all around the country, and had four teams of ten, and and we would have a kind of a mini Olympic form that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I helped, I coached in that, and I helped direct that. We had, we had, at that time we had uh, two thousand two, two thousand three in that area. We had, you know, uh, LeBron James was in high school, Carmelo Anthony, mm-hmm. Chris Paul, uh, all those guys we had out in Colorado Springs for our. For those for those events, so um, obviously it was, it was a great great time as well. But uh, and then just being part of that committee, I had a chance to uh, do a do some things with the senior men's team. Uh, uh, at least go to their, go to their workouts and and uh, you know be a part of uh, be a part of what what went on back kind of kind of backstage, so to speak. You know how Coach K was putting together the team. Things he said, so I got to sit in all the meetings and and just be a kind of a fly on the wall during during that time, mm-hmm. which is really up to the learning experience. It's a great learning experience. Um, and then, of course, Jerry Glanzel uh, stepped in and he really helped out. He really helped getting the players. Yeah. Um, and, and that's something we, you know, the, the NBA players uh, during that time of 2002, uh, four, six, and those eras. Uh, we just didn't get the best players, uh, and you know it's it's kind of like uh, uh, you know the the guys really really didn't hold USA basketball in very high esteem, mm-hmm. and 
once once we got that turned around a little bit and had, had the marquee players want to play, you know, then we had everybody, LeBron James, Carmelo, and they all played in, in the Olympics and in the World Cup. So uh, that was a big change. I got, you know, I got to be a part of that uh, from an observer, but also from being able to see how the team was put together, which uh, I, I think obviously in the long run that certainly helped with our junior national team. Because mm-hmm. um, uh, we used a lot of the same things that Coach K used with the senior team as well. Yeah, you guys just basically kind of took that blueprint from the top down and implemented yep. it, um, you know, from from the bottom up then, if so to speak. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, okay. You know, we talked a lot about standards, you know, what are, what are, what are gold standards, uh, you know, just culture-wise. And, you know, we, you know, we were very cautious about uh, who we were taking with our junior team. You know, we wanted guys who bought into what we wanted. A lot of guys who were obviously very skilled, but also were great teammates. Uh, without you know good body language, they, they they were there because they wanted to be there. They were there because uh, you know they were they were, they were uh, playing for USA basketball. And I will mention this: that, you know we we play against teams like Argentina and Serbia and Spain. We notice a difference in the fact that you know they're playing for their country. Yep. And. And our guys aren't used to that. You know, they play. They play for their high school. They play for their AAU team. Um, you know, they play for really teams that are other than our country. Very, very few have a chance to play for USA. So when they do, they're it's, it's, it's the first time they play for USA basketball, mm-hmm. and uh, that's a, that's a big difference, I think. And you know, our our, our kids were, uh, I think, as we as we started out, they were probably a little bit odd by the fact that the, the, the national pride of some of the other uh, players uh, with those countries was was unmistakably uh, huge mm-hmm. compared to you know, maybe what our kids felt. So that was a big learning experience as well. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, they thought that a, a high-level uh, high school game or AAU game at a, at a – EYBL or whatever it's called or something like that. They thought that was intense. And then, you know, uh, this goes to a whole nother level and then they probably thought they were prepared for it, but they really weren't prepared for it. Is that, is that kind of what it was like? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, how difficult was it to, to kind of walk away from coaching a team every day? You know, you were at Iowa city high, uh, to now, you know, to the new role. Was, was that difficult on you? You know, it, it, it was and it wasn't. Uh, you know, I, USA Basketball, I really for the past two or three years before I actually went to work with USA Basketball, I had done some stuff for them curriculum-wise, basketball curriculum-wise, you know, just did some stuff like that. And, uh, you know, they actually kind of wanted me to come full-time a couple of years earlier. I just wasn't quite ready. Uh-huh. Uh, but I think it's, I, as I was, you know, coaching those last few years at City High, I felt that it was just kind of, you know, 42 years. I thought time is right. Yeah. And you know, we we still, uh, you know, we moved out to Colorado Springs and uh, we live right downtown, uh, close to work. It's been a great, great move for my wife and I. We love it. We still have our house in Iowa City, so we go back and 
see the grandkids and what they're doing as well. So, uh, but yeah, that, I mean, that, I, I do miss some of the things with, with high school basketball. I miss the day-to-day, you know, interaction with the players and, and assistant coaches. Um, I had some great assistant coaches throughout the years, and, and, and you just kind of miss that with the players as well. I, I don't miss, you know, funny thing is I don't miss the games a lot. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, I, I think I miss the practices more than I do the games. And it's funny because uh, as I got, as I was a younger coach, that was just the opposite. You know, I, I mean, I loved the games. Yeah. And, but I didn't like them as I was getting old, getting uh, older. But I, I think the, the games took so much emotion, and you know, you're you're into everything on that. And I think I think it was kind of really, actually, you know, it's hard on on my wife as it was was anybody. You know, time yeah. game after game after game. You you ride the roller coaster effect there. So I, I can't say that, that I really miss the games that much, uh, but I did miss the practices. I still do miss the practices. So, but again, you know, I, I go to so many games and watch so many high school uh, players and NBA players and college games. I just was out and uh, had the chance to go out to uh, Maui and watch the uh, Maui Invitational out there over Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. So. It, so I watched so many games. I, I think that's kind of taken the place of uh, of that. And, and you know, I'm in char- I, I do. I set up all our mini camps where we have kids come in four times a year uh, for our for our camps, uh, USA basketball camps in Colorado Springs. So I'm really involved in the practices there, setting those up uh, as well. So I think that's obviously taken some of the some of that staying away from not actually having my own team. Sure. It's funny you say that about uh, your your wife and, and, and any coach's spouse. You know, the old saying is, you know, they should be the first people that should be allowed into heaven and everything. And, uh, you know, um, you know, my wife would always, you know, say, you know, after a tough game, tough loss or, you know, something like that, you know, you know, yeah. the, she was, uh, you know, you'd come home and she'd be just as emotionally kind of worn out as you were. But she would say, well, at least you had the ability to do something about it. You were involved. I just have to I yeah. just have to sit there and watch, and I don't know what's going to yeah. happen next. You've got at least yeah. a little bit of a say in it, you know, and I, and I think there's a lot of truth to that. Yeah, you know, I, uh, you know it's just, uh, you know, coaching is such a emotional uh, avenue for, you know, you, you're, you're into it so deeply from the emotional standpoint, the, and you're, you know, you get so wrapped up in the kids on the court and, and everything. And it's, 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 uh, you know, my wife's seen, she's seen thousands of ball games mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, as well. So, um, but you know, it, it's a sport, uh, where, uh, you know, obviously there's a lot of gratitude, a lot of things that you look back on and you say, wow, this is what a, what a great, what a great, uh, profession you were in to really um, have an impact uh-huh. on, on kids and, and everything else. Yep. Um, so, you know, you're talking about your experiences with USA Basketball, um, and, you know, you, you talked about a few of the, the guys that you went to see tonight, uh, you know, Trey Young and, and Jabari Parker and Cam Reddish. Uh, you know, and you mentioned Bradley Beal, Andre Drummond, some of the other guys that you've had a chance to coach. I mean, uh, it's pretty awesome. You know, Justice Winslow, Jalil Okafor, 
uh, Creighton's yeah. own Doug McDermott, uh, Jason, Tatum, J- Jason Tatum, Kevin Knox, Colin Sexton, Wendell Carter, Jaron Jackson, some high draft picks the last few years. My curious question, and, and I understand if you don't want to answer it, uh, but my curious question would be out of, you know, all these this opportunity of, of guys that you've had a chance to coach, uh, who's maybe the one that got away? Who was the kid that you uh, maybe didn't have involved with your youth program that you were like, ah, you know, darn it, we, yeah, we miss that one. That's that's one of the guys we should have had in, involved because it's pretty. You know, I don't want to say it's easier for the senior team because they've got the the kind of they've established themselves as NBA players and that type of thing. Your yours is a little bit more of a you know, a little bit more of a crapshoot with the younger players at the high school level, and, and not everybody's fully formed. But, you know, who's one that you're like, yeah, we, we missed on that one? You know, I, I don't know if anybody's ever asked me that one. All right. How about that? How about that, yeah. Coach? Oh. There's a first for everything. All right. That's right. <laughs> you know, uh, I'll give that a little thought, but, you know, I look back on players we had, and, uh, you know, I'm sure there's some that were as good as the ones we missed on. We, we bring in about 35 kids for our training camp in per age group. So, mm-hmm. you know, we get a chance to see a lot. We don't just bring in 12. We, for training camp, we'll bring in 30, 30 35, cut it down to 16, cut it down to 12. Mm-hmm. Um, and, then, and so it's not just that we bring in 12. Now, back when we originally started, um, you know, it's probably we brought in less because we just didn't know the landscape at that time. Yeah. But, uh, you know, since then, so so some of the kids that didn't make our final 12, you know, either back, uh, I, you know, uh, Justice Winslow didn't make it his first year. Uh, who was, you know, I always give this story to kids how if he didn't make it, he could have, he could have played, played the blame game. He could have done everything else, but he just went back, worked really hard, made our team as a U seventeen player, and then uh, was was a really all turn. Um, I you know I, I can't I, I guess I can't put my finger on somebody I think that would have made our team that we didn't even bring a training camp. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had some that didn't make our team final twelve, but they were in our training camp that turned out to be really good. Okay. Um, I think, you know, Nico Mannion was, was really good for Arizona now, didn't make our team, but he was there. You know, obviously we brought him in. Darius Garland, who was top five pick last year, yep. playing for Cleveland Cavaliers. He didn't make our, our final 12, but, you know, again, that final 12 is not based necessarily so much on pure talent. It's, hey, we got to make a team. Yep. And, you know, our, our number 12 guy better better be in a position where he accepts being number 12. Yep. You know, it's kind of like your high school team. you gotta, you got to put teams together that, that, you, that, that really play the best. And, um, you know, we can't have a number 12 player who uh, make, who makes our USA team and thinks he should be a starter uh, and not be a team guy. So, you know, we're really cautious about you know, how we pick players for that team based on what we need and, uh, you know, based on if, if players can handle different roles. Because all, all 35 that come in are great players. And they're used to having the ball in their hands. And they're used to pretty much doing the things and shooting the ball whenever they want to on their high school or YouTube. Because that's 
that's how good they are. Mm-hmm. So when, when they get us, I mean, they really got to accept a different role. And I think probably that's what I learned most from Coach K is, you know, how to how to get the players to accept that role. And I think it really helped me out, out as well with my high school teams as, as, uh, as I progressed with that. So, well, great question. I, I guess I can't answer that without really giving that some thought going through some of the players we've had each year. Most part, I think we've we've been pretty good at inviting players that we think are would help us. Well, how about this? You, you keep that question in the back of your mind. I'll have you on again sometime, and that'll be the first question that I ask you, and, right. and then we'll see All how right. it goes. So, um, I'll do research on that. Okay. Um, you kind of stole, you, uh, you addressed something I was going to ask you about, uh, later on. So let's talk about it right now. Uh, you talked about, uh, you know, establishing roles and, and you guys are in such a unique situation and you were kind of living in two different worlds. Um, you're straddling two different worlds there for a while because you, you were coaching at a, at a small high school in, in, in your full-time job, but then with your team USA, you're, you're like you said, you're bringing in 35 of, you know, allegedly the best players in the country from 35 different backgrounds, from 35 different stories, from 35 different systems, so forth and so on. And you need to make this into a team. Uh, what were some of you talked about coach K and some of the things that he taught you. What are some of the, um, the, the exercises or the, the things that you guys look for um, when when constructing these teams uh, and establishing roles and, and a kind of on short notice, I mean, you, you have yeah. a, a limited time with these kids uh, to kind of figure out who's going to fit best together. Uh, so that, you know, that's, that's difficult when you're coaching your team 365 days a year, let alone doing it in the format that you guys are doing it. So what are some exercises that you guys, you know, use to, to, to do those things that would help out our coaches? Well, I mean, first of all, it's kind of like coaching your high school team. I mean, you, you only have two weeks to get ready for your first game, so how are you yeah. going to put them together? Uh, I think you have you have a general basic philosophy. Right? What what is your what is your philosophy? Uh, and, and generally, the philosophy isn't isn't necessarily you know what you do X and O wise, because I think that for high school coach that 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 changes on a yearly basis depending on your personnel. Uh, for us, our philosophy pretty much was the same because we had the same kind of players year after year. We knew we were going to full court press. Uh, we had we had three three presses that we always used. We're going to use kind of a little continuity offense, uh, but give the kids some some uh, leeway as to what they could do with it. So, uh, uh, from that standpoint, it's a little bit different. But by the same token, is I think you you have to have a philosophy. You have to have a culture that you know. When the kids come into your program, here's what they expect. Uh, they expect to be, you know, they expect to, you know, to be, they have to play hard. Uh, they know what your, your definition of playing hard is. Uh, they have to be respectful of their teammates and coaches. Uh, you know, they have to be great teammates. They have, those kind of things are just staples of what a program should be. That's your culture. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I was watching Michigan uh, the other day on TV. Um, when they beat uh, Gonzaga, and and you know you could tell that uh, Juwan Howard is starting to build a real distinct culture for Michigan uh, based on what he wants done. Uh, after the game, I noticed that, and I think it was tweeted out as well. But his players they had they shook they actually shook hands. They didn't give a high five. They didn't give a fist pound. They shook hands with the coaching staff, the players from the other team, 
and, and we're legitimately telling them a good game. So I think little things like that make a major culture. So I, I think as coaches, you know, and, and culture goes for every, you know, every individual. We all have best players, mm-hmm. and you have to hold your best player accountable, uh, or you lose you lose your other four team. So if you don't hold your if your best player comes to practice uh, late and you don't hold him accountable, him or her accountable, uh, then you've really lost your team because that's it's uh, you know that's one of the things that uh, if you if you say it's what's going to happen, uh, you're going to do then that you have to do that too. no matter if it's your best player or not, whether it's not starting at bench time. That's the toughest thing to do. Yeah. Is you're you know you're you may may decide, boy, I, you know I don't want to hurt the other hurt our team from winning, so I'm going to give a warning this time or whatever. But we ran the same thing with our with our national team. For instance, uh, several years ago, we were in uh, in uh, playing a world championship in, in Spain. So our goes to Spain. We had uh, four guys come in after uh, they were out in the hallway um, after after we uh, had a curfew. And, uh, and I said, well, you know what? Uh, I always say this to clinics, what would you do as a coach? Uh, well, we did, We actually, uh, with those four players, I understand we have you know, really good players, so mm-hmm. it's a little bit different, but you know, we, we didn't even dress in the next game. And uh, we said, you know what, and four, all four of us need to be here right now. But they, they come back and they say, you know, that's probably the best thing, that's the best lesson I learned, is when you didn't dress me the next, that next game for being... Uh, you know, from being out of my room after curfew. Yeah. So I think those are things that coaches really have to look at. You know, you have to be ready for those things because they're going to happen. Kids are going to test you. And uh, those, those are things. So your philosophy, I think, is things that you're non-negotiables, like we call it. All right, what are your non-negotiables? Those are standards. We don't, we don't talk too much about rules. Uh, we talk about standards. What, what standards do we have as a team? Standards are something that, you know, the team has to live up to, individuals have to live up to. So uh, that's kind of where we come from with that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's, and I, and I think that's so important uh, when you're talking about holding your best players accountable. And, and I think that's really the, the, you know, the first time that happens, you kind of have to make a choice as a coach, you know, um, what am I going to do? What am I going to stand for? Am I going to talk, talk? Am I going to walk the walk? And, and it's not something that you look forward to, but you kind of have to prepare yourself for, uh, that situation. And, and it's just like you prepare yourself for five seconds left and you're down one and you've got a calling out a bounce play. Well, you also have to prepare yourself for, well, what's going to happen when you run into a situation like you ran into, uh, in Spain as well. And, and don't you think that's important to think ahead to that, of those type of things before it happens? Yeah, I mean, I tell coaches and clients all the time, I says it's going to happen. At some point, your career is going to happen. Mm-hmm. And so you, you, know, you have to be ready for it. And, uh, uh, you can't, you know, uh, you, you, really, you really cannot uh, be in a situation where uh, you're, you're, going to, you're going to uh, not value your standards because of one person. Mm-hmm. You do that, you lost your team. So uh, preparation for that going to come. And, uh, and, and you know, you, you, I know parents are going to, you know, their parents are a big part of what you're doing. So but the same token is you you, you have to be, make sure that you run the team. And at the end of the day, uh, 
you know, the parents, uh, whether they admit it or not, they understand. And in the long run, they're going to have, they're going to give you more respect because of what you did. Mm-hmm. Um, you're in a transition period kind of now with USA Basketball. You're transitioning from the leadership of, of Coach Krzyzewski uh, to the leadership of Coach Popovich. And they're both guys with military backgrounds, which that's something that they definitely have in common, obviously very successful. Uh, anything, you know, and I understand that there's probably some things that you can't or don't want to talk about, but, uh, you know, what are what are some of the, the, the little tweaks that maybe Coach Pop has done uh, you know, just the kind of the, the changes that maybe we can look forward to as a viewing community inside of USA basketball that Coach Pop might be doing a little bit different from what we've seen from Coach K the last decade or so. Yeah, I think that's a good point. It's good you know, to visit with people about this, too. Just from an outsider kind of looking at what's going on, I think Coach K, did, he did a great job of, of earning the respect of the NBA players. You know, NBA players, they're, I mean, they're just a different breed because most of them, a lot of them didn't, you know, LeBron didn't even play college basketball. So, yeah. you know, they're there with the college way of life, so to speak. And so, uh, Coach K did it, you know, he really worked at developing a relationship with those players. I mean, he, uh, just from daily conversations, uh, sense of humor, uh, throwing in a little sarcasm, uh, all those kind of things, they kind of responded to him really well. Um, but it took a while. I mean, it wasn't automatic, uh, even though Coach K obviously uh, has been such a, for, you know, such a great coach at the college level. I, I think it took a little, it just, this is just my opinion, but it took a little bit of time for them to kind of buy into what he thought was good. But mm-hmm. he did such a good job of defining roles. Uh, for players and and uh, and those kind of things, whereas uh, Popovich comes in and, and, uh, and, and Vegas last year at the training camp, uh, it was obvious he he didn't have to work at developing respect or or relationships with the players. He had it coming in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I think that that was to me that was a pretty big difference. Mm-hmm. He he already had. You know, had respect of the of the players uh, in the practice sessions. He he could he could start out doing some things that probably Coach K couldn't just because of that aspect of it. Um, but they're both very firm. Uh, can be very firm. Uh, they can they can let you know where they where they stand as far as hey you know uh, you know you need to live up to our standards those kind of things. So. Both of them, from that standpoint, I think we're, we're very much alike. Mm-hmm. Um, but it'll be interesting to go, as we go on here, um, you know, what, how that relationship develops with, with Pop and, and the players. But I get the feeling it's going to be really good. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be a, a great way, you know, uh, for for Coach Popovich to to. Uh, wrap up his career, you know, and, and, and put a fitting bow to it. And, you know, he's earned it with everything that he's done within the game as well to, to have that opportunity, uh, to, to take the, take the USA program to the next level as well. I think it's a, a logical, uh, handing of the baton, so to speak from one to the other. So, um, 
One other thing real quick here, Coach, and then we're going to hit our Don Meyer uh, quote yep. of the day. Um, yep. Snow Valley. You know, you we, we yep. talked before we got going here. You'd work some Snow Valley in California, and then you brought it to Iowa. Could you kind of explain? You know, you're kind of one of the you're kind of the the, the Don Corleone, the Godfather, or one of the Don Corleones of, of Snow Valley. So, uh, you know, just kind of explain your involvement with that and and all that yeah. goes into it and stuff. Well, you know, for you, right out of college, I you know, as a young coach, I you know, I was just so I guess just wanted to learn so much about the game. I just wanted to be a sponge and be the best coach I could be. Here I was coaching at Lone Tree, which had about 30 kids per grade. Uh, uh, and and I, I just wanted to make that the best job I could. So what I did right out of college, I wrote a letter to John Wood to UCLA. He had just, he had just uh, retired at the time. And, okay. uh, and I asked him, hey, uh, you know, I'm straight out of college. I'm straight out of college I'd like to you know be a counselor at your camp so he he I thought well I'll, I'll probably never hear from him but within a couple of weeks yeah I got a handwritten letter back from Coach John Wood and I still have that frame by the way oh wow yeah and uh, uh, he said hey we're, we're, I think we're filled at this time but I'll give your name to Max Shapiro who runs our camps and something opens up he'll get a hold of you well, about a week before the first camp started in July, I got a call from Max said, "Hey, we need we got more kids. Than we thought we need another couple counselors. We're going to come out." I go, "Hey, I'm, I'm out there." Mm-hmm. So I made the trek out to California, working John Woods camps at Cal Lutheran and Thousand Oaks, and then uh, the following week after I was there, they a uh, coach couldn't make it, so they asked me if I would coach that next week. And so that started my twenty some year. Uh, involvement with Coach Woods' camps. And, uh, while out there, you, you meet, you, that's where you meet so many people. And, uh, I had a chance, I mean, my family went with me every year, and we had a great time at the camp, and then we'd have our vacation after that. But during that time, I met people that worked Snow Valley basketball camp in California. And so they said, hey, if you really want to work a good camp, you, you have to work in Snow Valley. Uh, it, is a, it is a players and coaches camp where you're going to teach and players are there to learn and everything else. So so that's how I first started working at uh, Snow Valley Basketball Camp in, in Santa Barbara, California, uh, Cal, at, uh, in Montecito. Uh, and Herb Lizzie directed at the time. I got to be really good friends with him. Uh, and uh, I just had a chance to really grow as a coach. I mean, given clinics and, um, you know, you, you really – understand how to teach the game when you work Snow Valley basketball school. So, mm-hmm. so I got a good friend of mine, Jerry Slykehouse, who longtime coach at uh, Fort Madison and Cedar Falls, uh, said, Jerry, come on, work camp with me. So he would come out and we'd work, we'd work camp. And we said, you know what, this is a great kind of Midwestern work ethic type of camp. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so we, we actually brought it to Iowa. Uh, last year was our 25th year we've had it in Iowa um, and people said you're, you're, you're crazy you'll never go you're getting kids up at 6 a.m. in the morning or 5 actually 5.30 in the morning for 6 o'clock uh, classes we call classes before breakfast we're going till 10.30 11 o'clock at night the games we're only playing one game a day uh, people said they are never going to get this going and uh, lo and behold the first year we had about 80 kids I think 
40 of them were from Mid Prairie and 40 of them were from Fall. <laughs> uh, you know, so, uh, but after that, we just kept growing and we've added weeks and now we have three weeks and three sessions of boys and one session of girls. And, uh, it, it's been, it's one of those camps where, you know, it, it's, uh, tremendous for coaches to work it. You find out really, you really become a coach when you, when you work it and watch other people put together a clinic and then you put together a clinic and teach it to a group of, you know, 60 kids and, uh, it really expands your, uh, coaching knowledge, but also it makes you, uh, teach the game the way it should be taught. And then of course kids come and they learn a ton. Uh, we had about 1500 kids enrolled last year for, for, for all four sessions. And, um, uh, three years ago, then my good friend Jerry Slykos, Slykos passed away in a tragic car accident. He and his wife, uh, December, they were going down to Arizona for the winter and uh, got hit by a semi truck trailer. Uh, so we've been we we've been doing it without him for the last three years. This will be the fourth year of that. Uh, but uh, he was a big part of it, obviously. And we're, we're we're keeping it going. It's been great. Uh, Great for coaches. Uh, we have coaches from all over the country, actually from all over the world. We have mm-hmm. international coaches that come and work it. We have kids that come from all over the country, fly in uh, from all over the country, and then also from uh, from out from international players coming as well. So we think it's uh, you know we think it's the best camp going, and uh, it's, it's right online. Snow Valley Basketball School, SnowValleyBasketballCamps uh, um, and we're just the registration is just coming out soon here for uh, this coming summer. Uh, we'll, we'll sell out again as we always do. So uh, very much, you know, you, you mentioned Don Meyer. Uh, Don Meyer is a Snow Valley guy. Yeah, and he worked. Uh, he works a lot of Snow Valley school. He got his kind of his uh, uh, teaching. He did a lot of teaching at Snow Valley, and he ran his camps very much the same way that we run ours. Mm-hmm. So you talk about an icon, a legend. Don Myers certainly did. Um, you know, we have we have NBA coaches who come, uh, assistant coaches, trainers come to work. Uh, so it's it's really one of those outstanding camps that you you really never forget about. Yep. Well, we will uh, turn the page here, then, Coach. We will we will jump into the the aforementioned Don Meyer quote of the day. Our our loyal listeners know that you know approximately halfway, a little before, a little after, depending on how we end, long we end up chatting here, uh, we give out the Don Meyer quote of the day. Uh, this week's Don Meyer quote is, simplify the game as much as possible. If you add something, you must subtract something. And I think that's pretty wise words from a guy that uh, did a lot of tremendous teaching and understood that, you know, paralysis by analysis and, and trying to do too much as coaches and sometimes we're we're guilty of trying to do too much instead of keeping it simple and allowing the kids to play um and you know that's something you learn at snow valley i'm sure well you know i, I mean i always said that coaches the game is probably overcoached and under yep and i go watch coaches are trying to put in 55 different sets and you know kids are Kids uh, just don't know how to play, and uh, I think you know as coaches we have to sometimes let them. I say let them figure it out. Mm-hmm. You know that's why we play a lot of three on three with our you know national team and, and young kids just so we let them figure things out. But 
great quote by by a legend. Yep. Sure. Yep. Um, my personal my personal uh, goat uh, and, and hero in the coaching realm. So got to, got a chance to meet him a couple of times. You know, I'm sure he didn't remember me, but I sure remember him. So, um, you know, uh, I finally, you know, about a week afterwards, I finally kind of quit quaking in my shoes a little bit afterwards. So, um, but, you know, uh, that was just more me of, of uh, you know, that's just me being young and, and just uh, wanting to be part of, wa- wanting to try and be as good as him. And and, sure. if, and if and if I was a, a tenth of a good as him, then I was I was a pretty damn good coach, I thought. So, um, so uh, coach, like we talked about before, before we got going, um, want to talk about some things with you that we haven't talked about with some other coaches here, and you kind of left it wide open for me. Uh, so um, we're gonna hit about I don't know six, five, six, seven things here, and and just feel free to kind of give us your philosophy on on these specific things. Um, let's start with uh, statistical analysis. Um, as you're examining the game, uh, maybe at, at halftime or after the game, what are some things that you look at from an analytical point of view that you're concerned about? going into the game on a consistent basis. And I know that changes from matchup to matchup. Hey, against, uh, you know, uh, against West Liberty, we, they got three, six, seven guys. We got to keep them off the boards, but you know, on a consistent basis from night to night, what are some key, uh, key statistics that you look at, uh, to, uh, the keys to your team's success over the years? Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that, that we did, <clears throat> we did a lot of, uh, other than your basic statistics, but we always like, you know, I, always look, I always look at our assist-to-turnover ratio is one of the things I look at first. Um, you know, we always say that your, your assist-to-turnover ratio should be one-to-one. If your turnover-to-assist ratio is, you have twice as many turnovers as you do assist, then, uh, you know, obviously you're probably not going to win the game. So that, that's one of the first things. And, and that goes for individually, too. You know, if a kid, if your point guard has seven assists and one turnover, that's a pretty good ratio. Um, you know, the other way around, that's not such a good ratio. So mm-hmm. we educate players on that as well. That should be uh, a one-to-one ratio. And I, I always put, uh, you know, I was, we, we did a lot with OER, offensive efficiency rating, and uh, DER, defensive efficiency rating, which is basically how many points are scored per possession. So, you know, if, if you have 80 possessions in a game and, and you hold your, and you get 80 points, that's one point per possession. And usually you're going to win a game when it counts, but that's uh, possession by possession. So, uh, I would go, after the game, I would evaluate uh, our, our possessions so we'd have maybe a, a group of about 10 possessions where we, we just, we struggle. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I'd want to know who was in there during those times, what defense, you know, what defense is being played during that time, or, or, or also, you know, we, if we'd have, have the DER, if our DER was really good, if we held the team to maybe like two points in five or six possessions, you know, what defense were we in, or, you know, what caused the most problems. So we kind of, I would really evaluate games based on, based a lot on that aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it was just, for me, it was just a, a very easy way to come up with uh, a way to, to, to evaluate the game. I, we, we talked about with the players. We'd show them 
all right, these 10 segments uh, or these eight possessions right here, we can score. So let's look at what happened. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, maybe it was bad shots. Maybe the shots just weren't going in. Maybe it was you know, too many turnovers during that session, whatever. And then I think because of that, you you would look, we looked at, all right, how many points did our opponent score on turnovers? So if we had 14 turnovers and our opponent's, you know, only scored six points. Well, the turnovers really, other than we didn't have a chance to score, did not uh, not hurt us as much as they could. But if we have, let's say, fourteen turnovers, which is our goal per game, fourteen or less, if that was our goal per game, and we had fourteen turnovers, and then uh, and then our uh, opponent scored twenty points on our fourteen turnovers, you know, that tells me a little bit about defensive transition and. They were getting some easy baskets off our turnovers, so um, you know the, the, that that part really entered into to probably more more than than just kind of regular stats as, as to how we evaluated uh, a lot that went on. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, how about your 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 practice setup? You know, let you know when I use this example with one or two other coaches, uh, it's mid December. You know, it's 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 not the dog days of the first couple of weeks, uh, but you're not into February where you're only going an hour, hour fifteen. You know, you know, mid to late to sep- uh, December, you've got four or five, six games under your belt. Uh, what what does uh, what's a typical coach show Walter practice look like um, during that time period? Well, most most of practices, are, first of all, uh, very organized. I spend a lot of time on practice sketches, how we, how we, what we do, how we do it. Uh, so kids know if we're playing three on three, they know what team they're on before practice starts. We don't, they don't come to practice. And say, All right, well, let's see, let's have you three be a blue team, you three or a white team, whatever. You know, they're we're very efficient in what we do. That keeps practice moving. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so that's one of the things. I think I think coaches, in my opinion. Uh, one of the best things you can do in your practice is you got to get a flow to your practice, really a good flow to your practice. And I think players will try to take that flow away from you for whatever reason, because you're tired, whatever. So I think it's really important that, you know, when you when you tell them to line up uh, or go to the baseline, that they don't walk down the bay to, to get a line. That they, you build leadership that way as well. Uh, so I think that's really a really important part of what practice is. You, you develop leadership. You develop some kids on your team that um, that, that have those leadership qualities. Uh, so you know, I, I always a lot of times I start counting backwards when when I say, "All right, give me four lines, no more than five in a line." I'll start ten, nine, eight, seven. And by the time I get to zero, they better be in those lines. Mm-hmm. So that helps the flow of practice. And then I usually generally go with third, third, and third. So the third of practice is spent in skill development. Third of the practice is spent in our offensive uh, fundamentals. Third is spent in defensive work. I may do, I may do not necessarily in that order. Mm-hmm. So if I'm coming out of practice, we want to emphasize our press that day. We may start right out in our, in our press work. So we're working on our 22 press or 23 press uh, back to a man. Work with that. We're starting that right away. Then we may break it down. All right, we're doing some 
some shooting drills. We're doing some skill work. And then come back with our offense at the end, which is kind of the way I like it uh, because I think that you develop that competitive intense, intenseness with defense. You do that early in practice. It seems like the practice has a lot. Um, really goes with a great flow to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of how we put the practices together. I think there's, uh, I mean, there's there's skills you have to work on. Uh, you know, you better put in some shooting. I think coaches don't spend enough time shooting in practice. Uh, that's why there's not enough good shooters. Flat out, uh, you have to spend time to get a good shooting team. So I think shooting, passing, and footwork are three things that need to be worked on every day in your skill work. Now, they can be used in combination with each other, but you have to really spend time on emphasizing footwork, jump stops, pivots, how to get out of situations with your feet, uh, passing, because the best teams you play against are going to be the best passing teams. If you're going to be a good team, you got to pass the ball well. And then, of course, shooting. And then other skills that need to go in with those uh, rebounding, uh, you need to teach screen uh, as well. Ball handling, dribbling is a skill that needs to be taught along with whole offense and whole defense. So uh, those are eight skills that we think are really important uh, that your practice covers. Uh, and I always say if I'm only going to do three skills that day. It better include footwork, uh, better include passing, better include shooting uh, of, of those eight. Mm-hmm. And then, then you, you know, you always you can uh, you you always have some fun fun drills to put in. Uh, you know, we we you know we with our national team. Sometimes we used to play dribble tag or we or or uh, sharks and minnows. You know, if you're a PE teacher, elementary PE teacher <laughs> like I for 15 years, we played a lot of sharks and minnows. Now we just do it with basketball. So dribble from one end to the other with a shark in the middle, trying to tag them. Um, and you know, uh, Jabari Parker said that's that was the most fun he's ever had <laughs> in, in practice playing sharks and minnows. So you gotta know, keep it fun for him. Uh, and you know, they're developing skills without really knowing the developed skills. Yep, yep. Um, all right. Uh, game day. You know, when game day hit, this is this is something that we we I haven't had a chance to ask anybody yet so far. Uh, but you know, what was kind of some of your, uh, game day procedures, um, maybe some things that you've seen, uh, you know, or, and, and things that you did, you know, how did you get your team ready on, on game days? Uh, how do you approach your pregame talks, those type of things? Uh, and again, I, I know some of that changes, you know, depending on the opponent, but just kind of an overall, uh, 30,000 foot overview of how you would operate on a game day. Yeah, I think first of all, for for me, we're talking uh, we're talking your high school, yep. uh, high school teams. I, I would always try to see the kids during the day of the game. So uh, maybe I, you know, I might teach elementary PE for the morning, but I always try to make contact with the kids uh, maybe before school, uh, not as a team, just individually. Uh, so uh, and just give them maybe. 30 seconds, a minute, two minutes, uh, of just some, you know, uh, say, hey, how are you? Um, you know, so it gets them thinking that we're all on the same page, that I, you know, it doesn't really depend on who you're playing. I think, you know, if you think it's a big game, they're all big games. Yeah. But you want you want them doing the same thing every, every, every game. So that's the first thing I, 
I think is really important is, is to make some contact with those kids uh, that they know you're you know you're around and you're thinking of them on, on game day. Uh, second, then after, right after school, we, we would meet, have a team, have a playing a, a drill game or a home game it doesn't really matter. We we would meet after school. Um, maybe maybe look at some film a little bit. Maybe not. Maybe just review the scouting report. Um, you know, those kids go through a lot in the day. You know, they might have had a bad day with a teacher, you know, the girlfriends dropped, you know, whatever, you know. So I think we need to get them back on the same page together before they leave school so they're not thinking about, you know, what happened during the day negative as opposed to going out or team meeting with something positive. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's five minutes, sometimes it's 15, um, you know. Sometimes we we have a conversation about some things going on during the day, so I think that's important. And uh, those kids felt really good about uh, most of the time. I think that we, you know, we as coaching staff were concerned about them as a person, really what went on during the day in their lives. Mm-hmm. So that that was important. And um, you know, if it's a home game, uh, you know, we've done everything. You know, some some one year we had, I thought we would. We just didn't start out very well. One of one of my better teams that I had just did not start out well in games. We just took us a quarter, quarter and a half to really wipe out, got going. So we bring them up during the JV game uh, and have uh, and show see a movie. Might have been uh, you know, uh, you know, might have been uh, a war movie. It might have been you know, uh, whatever mm-hmm. Star Wars. But I, you know, whether that helped or not, I, I, I thought it did. But you know, <laughs> um, you know, so I think you have to kind of that kind of goes team by team as well. Mm-hmm. Some kids like to go in and get dressed early. Some don't like to go in and get dressed so early. You know, you, your philosophies. You want to do you want to sit together um, type of thing. So you know, I think what you develop is a routine, and kids like routines and they feel comfortable with routine. And uh, uh, even with our USA basketball team, you know, we'd have a routine on game day. And whatever that routine was for that team, uh, I think is really important. Mm-hmm. So they felt confident. Uh, they saw your, they saw the coaches being confident. They felt more confident in what we were going to do in our game plan, so to speak. So gotcha. that's kind of in a nutshell. Um, anything after? Games, you know, how do you handle your your post games? You know, because as, as longer I got it, longer I coached, I, actually toward last probably ten years, I said very very little after games to players. If we won, obviously I congratulate, have you know thirty second statement of hey nice job, uh, Bobby you did a great job tonight. I would point out little things maybe that uh, what helped us win. Bobby, if you went and got that loose ball in the second quarter that led to a layup, we may not have won the game. So they understand that, you know, what it's it's little things that make a difference. Yep. And uh, I would always, then I'd always have kids, I'd always mention two or three kids that didn't start, maybe didn't play very much. Hey, your contribution was just as much as, 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 as Tommy who started for us. You know, so don't mm-hmm. think that your contribution, no matter how many seconds you play, isn't. If, you didn't, if I didn't think you could contribute, I wouldn't put you in there at all. So when I put you in for whether it be only a minute or two, 
it, it's uh, you know it's a huge contribution. So I'd always do that, and then get them out yeah. know, after loss. I mean, they're not they're not they're probably not going to listen to you very long anyway. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and you know, obviously there's you know there's times where you where you 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 want to stay, but uh, if you're going to keep in there for 30 minutes after the game, win or lose, uh, I, I think that's just you you probably lost them. Let's let's do it the next day. If you have something to say, that, that way you can kind of think clear the next day. Kids come a little, think a little clear. I mean, you know, I think coaches always took took the games much harder uh, than the players did. They yeah, lost. Yep. Oh, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you there. Wholeheartedly. Yeah. Yep. yeah. So I think get them in after the game. Get them out after a few words. Let them shower and do their own thing. One of the pet phrases I started going to, you know, in my career, uh, especially if I was upset after a game, is I, I would just try to come back to, hey, you know, didn't go our way tonight. Um, you know, before I say too much, I want to watch the film and make sure that what I say is important or whatever, and then kind of break it after that. You know, just yep. just to kind of put that little bug in their ear that uh, yep. we have, we haven't forgotten about this, but if I'm going to say something, I want to make sure that I'm not imagining it that i'm actually seeing it and, and that's yeah. that's what i know that happened yeah. and it was factually that's what happened you know yeah. you know tommy you did not jump on the on, like you talked about you know uh you did not jump on the uh get after that loose ball the way we expect you to get after 50 50 balls and that's unacceptable and that's what i thought during the game and now the next day you can say yeah you know what i watched it i rewound it 10 times and doggone it you can do that you know or something like that you know right um, I think that's kind of a that was that was something I used, you know, um, and I and it worked pretty well. Yeah, and, I, and you know, we always start out before I should go back because before every practice we had, we always met and we always had a team, a team meeting because I think that sets the tone for your practice. I think kids come in with too many different things going on, so we whether that, that team meeting might have been thirty seconds, it might have been ten minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I might have been looking at some film, but I think it's really important that uh, you said, I always have what I call mind candy. Right? Here's a mind candy for the day. Uh, and that might be, you know, mind candy might be uh, uh, pressure pressure can cause pipes to break or, or diamonds to form. Now, what is, how does that relate to our team? <coughs> yep. So we have a team meeting before every practice. After a game, that team meeting might include Probably include some film clips. Yep. Yep. Um, all right. Three more things, Coach. Um, yep. Let's go with your uh, basic half court philosophy. You know what did what did you do as a coach? What were some core beliefs that you had? You talked a little, you know about fundamentals and footwork and, and that type of thing. Uh, were were you a motion guy? Uh, were you a, a pick and roll guy? Uh, a lot of set plays. You know what what were some things that you did? With your offensive half court philosophy, well, you know, I think your yeah, I think your philosophy has to change a little bit yep. year to year. Uh, so I would go into the year. I mean, you know, obviously you evaluate what your your team is made up of over the summer and what you got coming back and all those kind of things. But I really think that uh, you know that philosophy. You can't do the same philosophy. In other words, when I was at City High, one year we had three kids about six seven. Six eight. We played a lot of zone, uh, but uh, you know uh, because they were they were obviously not very quick and uh, uh, couldn't move 
philosophy, you have to really evaluate where your where your kids are at, what the, what's best going to put them in a position to be the best they can be. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, uh, so. I mean, I've done everything from emotion to uh, the last several years. I used a ball screen offense, which I could adjust to whoever we had, whoever the lineup was. Uh, it was it, it was a ball screen offense continuity type type thing. Uh, but allowed the players to kind of have some freedom as well. Uh, we used that. Uh, we always pressed in some way. Now that press, we had three different presses that we used, uh, but uh, we would we would adjust that depending on our personnel. Uh, some of those presses were maybe three quarter court, maybe full court, whatever. But we've always were were a pressing team. I think since my early days in Lone Tree, and obviously with our national team with the athletic ability they had, we we pressed all the time. Mm-hmm. So if we were at a bigger team, it might have been more of a passing press, even a half-court trap type press. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's hard to say, you know, here's my my philosophy. Is this what I'd like? You know, if I had some of my best teams were teams that were, you know, that we could press 84 feet and run motion. That mm-hmm. was our best teams. Yep. I mean, because we had the personnel to do it. Um, I had some other teams that were really, really good. But you know what? We used to, we played a lot of one three one zone and two three zone, mm-hmm. and we and that year we mixed it up a lot. Played some man, played some zone, just kept people off balance. Uh, that's the year that you know we were, we probably had eight or nine losses during the year, but we ended up going to state tournament, uh, mm-hmm. playing the championship game. So uh, you know that's kind of what we do. What I really feel is what a coach needs to do at the high school level. Um, we can't we can't go out and recruit. Most of us in high school can't go out and recruit. You know, <laughs> what we what we like to have. Yep. Um, with your with your pressing philosophy and, and I, w- I was a pressing guy too. Um, I always thought it was easier I was thought it was easier to pull them back than to get them to be aggressive. Uh, was that part of your philosophy there as far as your, your defensive pressure and extending out? Um, you know, I, I'm always kind of amazed where you watch games and guys don't press, they don't press, they don't press, and then they get down to two and a half minutes left and they're down 10 and they don't know how to press in any way and their season's on the line or whatever it may be and they're not prepared for it because they haven't done it all year. Um, I was always, I always believed that it was always easier to pull them back than it was to get them to be more aggressive was that kind of your in, in your those kind of couple of points there was that kind of in line with your philosophy as well well no question i mean i you know we want we want our team to be super aggressive and uh you know by, by saying that you know how do you get your team to be aggressive well the defensive the defensive part is how you get to be aggressive so uh yeah i mean that that was definitely that was definitely what we what our thought process was get them to be aggressive and then uh, you know you can always pull back uh, and you, you have different <coughs> different different places for it to be aggressive mm-hmm. okay there's full quarter half you know full court three quarter court our, our presses were all the same it just the pressure points were different mm-hmm. just gotcha. kind of you know uh, but we were still aggressive I, I think it's, it's it's easier to it's harder for kids to to be aggressive if they if you if you don't if you don't play that way very much you know uh, and, and I, that's that was always my 
Austrian crashing is it, it was it is so much better for our kids if they started out with a um, you know with a with a high level of aggressiveness in our in our defense that would lead over to our offense as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, so leading right into my next question. If you're pressuring people in a variety of different ways, what were some things that the other teams did as far as breaking your pressure that gave your teams problems? What was what's been some of the best press breaks that you have seen um, over the years, and, and how people have handled pressure? Well, I, I mean, for us, I think it, it, teams of press does too, but. And it goes back to international basketball, but teams that gave us the most pressure, first of all, in full court press, is when they went, was when the offense went <coughs> one four cross. So they went ball out of bounds with four guys at the free throw line. Because mm-hmm. that, that's tough to press against. So, um, you know, it's tough to get that first trap because there's four, four guys that you, if your inbounder remembers that they can run the inbound lines, you can. You can pretty much always get it in, and uh, that that gave us always the most problems. Uh, so we would probably adjust our press instead of full court. We might go three quarter court. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other thing is, I, I think the other thing that we try and do that gave press a lot of problems. We put our best shooter, put him down the corner right away to really stretch out that defense. So we'd have uh, one of our best shooters in one corner and. Uh, our, our post player opposite him on the short corner. So we'd really stretch that defense out, and that would give players some problems. Then you, you know, obviously work the middle and get it down there. But if, if they, if the other team knows you have a good shooter down there, that in the back of their minds are always not quite as good a pressure as it would have been had they hit me not been down there. Okay. So it was toughest when people brought you know, that, that four up, or yeah. when they, when they use the entire 94 feet, 94 by 50 yeah. to, to, to break, to break the pressure that you were throwing at them. And, and you know, if we, if we were in a denied situation, uh, if you're, if you're pressured really hard and not want the ball to get a bounce, that, that four across is hard because you'd have to bring your post player up and mm-hmm. they slip back behind you. So that was hard. So, I mean, that was a good set, I think, against really pressure to not allow the ball to get in. Mm-hmm. And then putting a really good shooter way down the court was very good uh, for teams that would let you get the ball and then try and trap. Because then they, that, that good shooter was down there. And obviously you bring him up a little bit but how they were playing it. But um, I always thought that having that good shooter down there in the back of the defensive line, they knew that they had to cover, him, cover that shooter. And... Uh, and usually they'd have a post player in the back of a press, so he could get out there to cover him, so somebody else had to. And uh, we always felt that was uh, played in our hands really well. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, last thing. Uh, one thing we haven't talked about on the pod yet in now the 14th uh, episode, but I'm going to throw this in your lap, and I know it's a little bit difficult uh, with just it being verbal and we don't have the visual. Uh, sideline out of bounds. You know, what was your, uh, what was uh, maybe your philosophy in defending sideline out of bounds? Were you pressuring the ball? Were you off the ball? Uh, and then on the other, on the flip side of that, uh, you know, 
what would be a, a good player to uh, that you could uh, kind of quote unquote draw up, even though we can't see it here. Um, you know, uh, you know, you need a two point shot. You know, you're you know you're down two with with ten seconds right. left, or, or or something situational like that. Yeah, well, first of all, those special situations are crucial. Uh, I think coaches probably don't. To me, coaches don't spend enough time in special situations. So we would always start our scrimmage setting with a special situation. So uh, we'd say, all right, sideline out of bounds, and then we'd work into our scrimmage situation. So that was a way that we could work on it in a, in a situation where it was game-like. And then I think you have to have, you know, you basically have to have, as a defense, you have to have um, three things ready for defense. You know, you're... You're, you're behind, need the ball, you're ahead, uh, and don't really need to pressure the ball. And, and then, uh, thirdly, it's really a close game uh, as far as maybe a one- or two-point game, how are you going to defend it? So I think those are three things I think you really have to keep in mind. Uh, you know, if you're down, you're going to have to, how are you going to pressure that? Um, we always play the guy on the ball if we needed the ball. You know, if we didn't need to, if we didn't need a, Ball, we 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 play back in a, in a softer defense. Okay. Uh, but but uh, you know, if you need the ball, I think you need to play somebody on the ball, uh, and you need to play a man on that. So I think the situation kind of stems from how you're going to cover that defensive wise. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and in order for your players to understand that, I think that's what you have to practice on. So we would start. Uh, we would start. Uh, we would say uh, black. Uh, my team's up on two. Uh, you got the ball out of bounds. You got 30 seconds on the clock. Uh, so we, we get it in, you know, and we play that scenario. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then go from there. So I think those are things you have to think about. It's coaching that same way offensively. All right, how are we going to get it in? Or if it's a lot of pressure, you know, we, we run a stack to get it in just to get the ball in. Uh, I'm amazed at how many teams college teams, pro team, NBA teams have trouble getting the ball in sometimes. Yep. So, uh, so I think, you know, you have to have a situation where, all right, how am I going to get the ball in? Now, just get it in. Uh, secondly, all right, how am I going to get a shot with one or two seconds to go? We, we, we would always screen the backside of the zone or the backside of the baseline side, run a guy, run a guy from one side to the other off, off a screen or double screen. Uh, like those kind of shots, bringing from the bringing from the opposite side over to the ball side uh, to get the ball would be would be a great play to have. So if you just have depending on the situation, you just have to be prepared for it, and that's why you you run those plays you know every night in, in a practice situation. Maybe just start your scrimmage situation uh, as opposed to just kind of oh I, tonight we oh we forgot to run our side of the play uh, versus. Uh, so let's see what we can do. Mm-hmm. You know, that's thing. So yep. okay, and, and yeah, you want to r- run through that stuff before it's too late, and then you're yep. you, you're right. you're stuck, and <laughs> you know you know that's not where you want to be stuck at. So right. yep. please, give your, please give your kids like, the concept of all right. Here's you know we need to get the ball. We just need to get the ball in. So we're going to run a stack. And we need a shot. So here's what we're going to do: screen the backside backside guy. So. Uh, so they have some, uh, you know, semblance of 
hey, here's what's going to happen, um, and here's what we can do against it. Yep. Perfect. Perfect. Um, Coach Don Showalter, this has been a treat. Um, I'm, I'm truly honored that you would take the time out of your busy schedule to, to, uh, chat with me here this evening. Um, you know, thank you so much. Um, I, I hope you've had a good time with it. So, uh, great time. It's my pleasure. I love, I love to do podcasts. And, uh, fortunately I've had an opportunity to do, to, to do quite a few of them, but I think, I think, and I love to listen to podcasts because I think it's how, you know, we, we learn as coaches and get ideas and, and, uh, you know, your, the questions you ask are really good. I think they're very thought-provoking for for coaches as well as they listen to the podcast. Well, thank you. I, I, I appreciate that. That means a lot coming from a guy who has uh, done the things that you've done in the game. And, and uh, you know, it's it, it's been a great time putting everything together. And the biggest thing that, that I'm trying to do with this is, um, you know, trying to help people that want to to, to be lifelong learners that want help that are looking for little things. And if there's things that I say, that's great. If there's things that my guests are saying, that's great. I, I, I just want to help coaches become better coaches and, uh, having people on you like here, uh, definitely helps with that. So, uh, I appreciate that very much. That, that, that means a lot to me. So, uh, um, if you hang on to here for a second, as I wrap up and, and, uh, Uh, we'll go from there. But uh, again, I want to thank uh, Coach Don Showalter uh, from uh, USA Basketball for being on here tonight. Uh, we want to thank COSAC Chiropractor for once again sponsoring the pod. Uh, if you need any services, don't hesitate to call Dr. Kevin or Dr. Heidi at 402-964-0300. Uh, give us a follow on Twitter at a pen and a napkin. Coach, are you, can I get a Twitter follow from you after we're done? Absolutely, yeah. My, uh, my, uh, excuse me. <coughs> my Twitter account is at D Show Twenty Three. Yep. My, I was I was going to mention that and I forgot. I, my yep. apologies. So, okay. yep. At D Show S H O W and then the numbers twenty three. Uh, yep. So be sure to give Coach Showalter a follow as well. Uh, he has a lot of really good stuff on his Twitter account. Uh, again, download, rate, and review the podcast. Give us five stars on iTunes if you have any questions. Or comments or suggestions, email us at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Um, it's been a great night. Really enjoyed the conversation here. Uh, coaches, good luck as, as the competitions really start to heat up over the next week or two here. And as always, continue to hone your craft one day at a time.